If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. What are those inputs that you're looking for and, and dialing in for that to happen? What does the roadmap for you look like over the next few years doing this job? The better you get, the more you get paid. What's your secret sauce? All right, what's up, guys? Welcome to the podcast. Today, as usual, we got Kaiden Chandler, and then we have a special guest, my friend, Daniel Pessy. <laughs> yes. Danny Pessy with Knox Star University. Um, Danny's got a long, long history in door to door. Yes. One of the most OG guys, and, and now running pretty successful businesses. Yeah. Pretty, pretty stoked good. to have you on, dude. Thanks, Welcome, man. Thank you guys for having me, man. Stoked great, to have you, dude. Great shop out here, dude, down here in Orem, Utah. Got a nice warehouse, got some toys in there, saw the Lamborghini, man. So You can check out the Ferrari after. There's a Ferrari. Oh, Fer yeah. Ferrari, Ferrari or Lamborghini for you? For me, Ferrari, for sure. Really? Yeah, because, you know, Ferrari has just got the classic. Lambo's kind of like the, the badass type of, mm -hmm. like, kid yeah. at the party. Like, the Ferrari's the business owner that gets out that doesn't need to say anything and just gives yeah. you that look yeah and it's like it's like bro that's yeah. that's it zane jan has ferrari do you know He's zane all at all? yeah do you zane's know a better good friend oh okay. yeah know them very well okay yeah. zane's uh zane's a buddy of mine he spoke on a couple of my uh training calls so, oh really okay yeah. cool dude need to get on them more yeah, <laughs> yeah i know he bought them doesn't go on no yeah, i i watched some recordings so i actually do yeah um do you drive G-Wagon or what uh, actually do you drive? I got a couple cars. So I do, I have five cars and then I tour them all because uh, I travel so much. So mm -hmm. it's like, you know, just either waste it or, you know, rent them out. My favorite car is my BMW i8. So that one is the coolest car. Love that. And then I've got a 64 Carmagia that I really love. It's a Volkswagen. So it was my mom's dream car. A 64. A 64 convertible red. You can go on my That's Instagram. Sick, and go look it up, dude. Yeah, so look it up right now. And so it was my mom's dream car. And, you know, I was selling alarm, alarms and uh, never could really get the extra thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 to get it fully repaired. I mean, uh, I made good money at alarms, but to throw it away on something like that, it's like, yeah. nah. And then, you know, got into solar, and I was like, okay, I want to do something nice for mom now that, you know, I'm making walk a flock of cash. And so, <laughs> and so I, go, um, I go to get a quote to get this car fixed, and uh, it was like sixty grand. And then um, I go on Facebook, and my friend sends me a uh, for sale one of uh, 64, the same color, same car as my mom's, all restored for thirty five grand. And I'm like, bro, no way. And so I didn't tell my mom. I'm like, all right, I'm not going to tell her anything. So I go out, buy the car cash. And then um, as I'm driving home to go show my mom, I'm like, mom, hey, are you going to be home? Yeah, that's it right there. That is so sick. Pretty dope car, dude. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. So as I'm going to go surprise my mom, hey, mom, come outside. Take out to look at your car. And she comes outside, the whole thing, right? So I'm driving. On the freeway, I'm flooring it, and I'm like, dude, what's going on? It's not going over 60, 65 miles per hour. What the heck's going on here? So I'm sitting there just flooring it, just chilling. All of a sudden, I smell some smoke. Oh, my god! I'm like, bro, what's going on here? So then I look up, and I look behind me because the engine's behind you mm. in the older uh, Volkswagen, and the whole cabin's full of smoke. I'm like, god damn it. <laughs> just paid cash. Just paid cash. <laughs> so I pull over the side of the road. And I let the, the car steam in. I pull it, open the trunk, and then all this smoke comes out. I'm like, oh, what the hell happened my here? Gosh. Oil's blue and everywhere. 
I'm like, God, dude. So I try to start it again. I don't know anything about cars. And then uh, basically had to get a tow truck and got it to the shop. And I'm like, dude, can you fix this really quick? i got to get to my mom. He's like, no, bro, you blew up the engine. Oh, I said, no. God, dang. So, yeah, this is an old car, so I didn't uh, I know that you're not supposed to go that fast on the freeway. And so you don't want to put it So what's much. the speed limit? Uh, well, it was because the transmission was the stock one, and the transmission can only go so far. So I got a rebuilt tranny, rebuilt the engine. So it's a bigger engine, better tranny, and now I can go 75. Really? Yeah. That's good. Does your, does your mom drive that? Uh, yeah, it's at, my, it's at my house. She doesn't have a garage, so I just garage it. But uh, whenever she comes, I let her come and take the car and wherever she wants it. So, yeah, she loves it. So, yeah, that was the thing, man. I knew I wanted to do that for her one day and, you know, finally push some money aside and got it. And it was cool. Really worked out. So, yeah, my mom's mom's awesome. So she's afraid to drive it sometimes because she's like, it's just too nice. (laughs) I don't want to ruin it. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. She she had it. uh, So she had that car in my family for 30, like my whole life. It was sitting on the side of the house. It was all destroyed because she didn't, you know, want to have the money to rebuild it. And so every year she's like, hey, man, I want to restore this. And we sent it to somebody, one of my friends. And then he took two years, never restored it. It got everything got stolen out of it. All the extra parts. It's a classic car. And then they sent it back to me. I'm like, ah, screw it, dude. I'm just going to go to a professional instead of having my buddy do it. And then the guy said 60,000. I'm like, screw that. Then I found one online. I'm like, boom, that's it. Wow. So, and yeah. you, you put a lot of money into real estate now, right? Yeah, as much as I can. I've done most of my investing into myself and this year. Um, it goes in phases, so I do some into real estate. So myself, I have uh, over 100 units. I'm part of a syndicate. Um, and uh, What syndicate? Uh, dude, it was like three, four years ago. And it's not one of the ones that like anybody would know. It's, oh, like, okay. uh, it's like a big kahuna one. They send me stuff. I just... I, I'm kind of pissed because uh, it wasn't the best investment, mm. but because um, I, I could have taken that cash and I would have got the depreciating asset instead of being a part of a syndicate. So that was one lesson I learned. But then uh, this year, a big thing I was been spending money on is uh, coaching, so personal development stuff, yeah. and then um, a lot of money on my health. So I dropped like fifteen, twenty grand on like a full red light therapy set up in my house a vibration plate um blue light so that when i'm in a doing a meeting all day i'm not getting junk light in my eyes like messing with my brain so i'm yeah. more focused and clear um i have you, like you ordered that red light when we were in did i do it did shasta I? okay yeah, yeah, yeah i was yeah. like you tanning your testes dude That's <laughs> it. I, I definitely was you tan your testes dude I, that's three, the question three, three times a day dude, i tell these guys i tell these guys dude though, your testosterone fr- 200 percent. yeah is it the test of your butthole what do you tan? oh my god <laughs> Well, see, it's you, you, what you do is you have the box here, then you can lay down and just stick your legs up in the air. You get both two for one. Okay, that's just the red but light. It, it really helps, though. But, and there's different types of red It's not like you just go to the store and buy a red light. You have to get certain ones. And, of course, I got the highest quality one, the, the Juvie red light. Now, link Juvie in my bio. Just <laughs> <laughs> go to any pesky. But, uh, no, like that one, like I go to the biohacking conference every year, and I always look at the different products. Okay. And I knew that once I started making money, I really wanted to buy stuff for my health. Yeah, because you know, there's all these people that at the end of the day, it's like you have, you know, you're gonna be sick and dead, and it's like, you know, if you can extend your life for another five, ten yeah. years, how much money would that be worth? And most people wait until their health is deteriorated, where they'll spend all of their, um, when their health is gone, they'll spend their wealth. Yeah. But while you're getting wealth, invest in your health now so that you can get those compounding gains, and that's a big thing that I've really, really focused on. Mm-hmm. Staying hydrated. I drink electrolytes, like a shot of electrolytes and, and minerals every single day so anything like dave asprey recommends i get everything that he says hmm. and i just 
no, I don't even ask questions. And so <laughs> it's like, boom, if he says this is good for me, I get it. Where'd you get the red light thing? Uh, Juve, uh, just online. No, but like, where did you hear about it or um, learn about at it? At the biohacking conference. They oh, really? started getting more affordable. They used to be really expensive back in the day. But you wake up, I go butt naked, I drink my coffee, <laughs> in the Juve, the light for 20 minutes, back and forth, flip front, back. And then I stand on my vibration plate, I stretch out, and literally feel like I'm ready to take over the world. Really? Wow. Oh, dude, Every day that's I do sick. it. That's Every sick, day. The vibration plate. I, yeah. I went over Remember to that? Kyle Tucker's house, oh, his yeah. new house, and yeah. dude, he's got a sick setup. He has a sweet spot. Uh, uh, sauna, yeah, and then the I think it's called plunge. Yes, the ice bath. Yeah, dude, it just cycles through. The yeah. water is, and there's no ice in it. No, it's, right? just, it's just cycling through, yeah. freaking freezing. Mm-hmm. So pretty cool. Yeah, and I've got the I, at my house. I, I got a dry sauna outside, and then the next step is mm-hmm. to get an ice bucket thing. But problem is, is a lot of times I bought a hot tub. I used it four times in five years. So I'm like, <laughs> bro, when am I realistically going to go jump in some ice water? Yeah, where uh, are you posted up nowadays? Do you live in Utah? Uh, Beverly Hills. <laughs> no, Sick, Pasadena. So, SoCal. Mm. So, I'm in LA. Been there. Oh, Everyone successful was in SoCal. <laughs> yeah, cool. Is that where you live? <laughs> no, that's where the team is. The RIP. A little shout out for the RIP vertical here. Oh. We're out in SoCal. Nice, dude. I remember the, they named a song after you guys, the SpongeBob Rip My Pants. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one, dude. <laughs> so to put him down. That's the one. That's right. Oh. Anyway, Danny, quick question, dude. And I know you probably answer this all the time, but let's get the backstory. Let's hear about who Danny Pessy was before he was Danny Pessy. Everyone knows Knockstar. They know who you are. They know you have Waka Flocka Cash. But... Who were you before you were Danny Pessy? Dude, I was a, a, a performing improv comic in Hollywood. So, yeah, serious. It was, uh, you can look us up on Grizzle Chuck, and then I performed at uh, on one of the amateur professional teams in, at Comedy Sports LA, and then Improv Olympics West. And so I'd perform um, with them for years, take classes, and then put on shows. And then in college, I started the first improv comedy troupe for Pasadena City College. And then we would perform every every month or so and uh, it was really really cool and so i uh that's where i really learned how to be like an entrepreneur i auditioned for um, a professional company in la i didn't make it and so i started taking classes and then i started up my own club at college and uh, in college is when i learned that if you don't get what you want you go out and make it happen and so i didn't like the idea of kissing ass to the to the directors and you know making it to them uh kissing their ass and say oh dude what can i do to be on the team i was like bro i don't feel right like begging a grown man to like let me perform so i'm like dude i could go do this myself i'm gonna go start my own thing so then i went and auditioned at my college for the the play i wanted uh, i was a play studied what in school did you go to passing city college okay they have a great theater a lot so of you the, grew up there and everything yeah everything that's oh, really? my that's my spot i love that area and so i went to passing city college because they're renowned for a lot of theater majors because it's right by hollywood it filters into like show business and so i i auditioned for the improv thing in hollywood didn't make it auditioned for my college just because i didn't make it down there i'm like i right, forget at least i can make my stupid community college play didn't make that <laughs> and i was like bro this wow. i'm done with this i'm done i went into town i went into the office i'm like hey how do i start my own club all right fill these papers out you got to do this you got to find a teacher and so then i went around to all the teachers in the school and solicited them to be my counselor because they have to show up during our uh, meetings you had to do a meeting once a week so i found uh brent uh and brent was the uh, where's my water bottle but Brent was my uh, was my teacher, and basically uh, he came in and did all of our uh, uh, 
classes for us, and then um, I auditioned everybody. So then now I was a director, wow. and I put auditions all around the school. I'd go and say, hey, everybody, I'm starting up a comedy club. Come here and audition these dates. And I went to all the classes and just said, hey, everybody, boom, 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 right at the end of class, you can come in and make announcements. And so I did that, and I'm like, damn, dude, I don't know if anyone's going to show up. Let's see what happens. So I show up to the day of auditions, and there's lines around the building. No, I'm like, let's go. <laughs> so I ended up just sitting there for two hours just going through, like, people, all right, next. Next, next, <laughs> next with like a notebook and like pretending to write so notes cool. and just scribbled, scribbled <laughs> stuff. And so it was so cool. And then, uh, you know, I did callbacks too. So I'd get everyone's number and I'd call up, hey, uh, this is Danny Fessy with Knockstar. I, I want to congratulate you. Uh, you're going to be on the second round of callbacks. And people would be like, oh, no, no. <laughs> so, yeah. And then we found our team and then we performed and we ran for five years, which is like really incredible what? for So did you graduate recruiter. college? No, nah, not really. So, yeah. And so, just did the comedy thing. There. Just did the comedy thing. And then I just looked at what really got it to me is I, my fourth year. Uh, so, when I, I just got to college, that's when I first heard about door to door. And the reason why I did door to door was because comedy, the classes cost a lot. So, I'm like, okay, I can go out for four months of the year. How'd you hear about door to door? So, my buddy, Daniel Huddleston, was uh, in University of Utah. He was like my best friend. He went to, to Utah. He got a scholarship in the military. Hmm. And he got recruited on campus up there at Platinum Protection back in 2008 from a manager named Jason Strife. And so you guys wouldn't know him. He left in 2010. But he came down, told me and like six of my buddies about it. I said, all right, I'm in. I got to pay for all these classes. So the classes get expensive. So I'm in. And it's only four months. So I could make enough money in four months to work and do theater for eight months. So I'd go out, sell four months, and then every single uh, – after my first year, I'd come back. I had money, so I could literally do – pay for all my college classes, pay for all my theater, and then we would just do shows over and over and over again. And so I did that for three, four years, and then the fourth year, started managing a team. I was a top security sales rep in the country, and um, that was, wow. like, one of my top years. 22 years old, made, like, three hundred fifty grand, and – I was uh, remember literally sitting in backstage at one of the theaters, and uh, one of the one of the my my mentor was talking about how excited she was to get a gig at Disney, and she's like, "Yeah, this is like the biggest deal. I'm going to be one of the like the princesses or something," and it's like that's what we all look forward to. I'm like, "What do you mean?" It's like, "Yeah, that's where we make real good money." It's like if I get this gig, that's like a six month twenty thousand dollar gig, and I said, "What?" And she's like, "Yeah." I'm like, yeah, that means I can move out. I mean, what do you mean move out? She's like, well, I live in a one-bedroom apartment with four other performers. And I was like, you're my mentor, and that's how you're living? <laughs> oh, no. I'm like, bruh, I just cashed out. And I'm like. And this is after you had your my most big successful year. So summer. This is after I had my big year, and I was still going balls to the wall with, with the comedy thing. And I'm like, bro, is this the path that I really want to go down? And I mean, I like entertaining people, and you know, I like educate, you know, entertaining people. And then I'm like, well, dude, do I want to keep going down this path if I can't even take care of myself? It's like, you know, this money thing is really easy to me, and if I just skip that out and go in this comedy thing, I don't have a bright future ahead. If I want to be on my own, yeah, I like nice things, and it's like, bro, I'm not going to be living in a one bedroom apartment like with four people so 
that's when I was like, all right, well, I'm going to put this whole comedy thing on the shelf and then uh, just went balls to the wall with security. And then I made a commitment that uh, after that year, Pinnacle went out of business. I went to Vivint mm-hmm. and I said, I'm going to stay at Vivint. I'm going to wait till this thing IPOs and I'm going to cash out and then I'm going to go do whatever I want. And so I essentially doubled down at Vivint. And then uh, at that point, for the next 10 years, I averaged like 300 security accounts a year. So, which, you know, is like the pinnacle. It's really, really good. So, yeah, that was uh, quite the sacrifice I made. So, I did that for 10 years. 10 years in a row. Yeah. 10 years in a row, 300 accounts. Who was your, Holy cow, who was your regional? I had a couple. Uh, first one was John Frampton, who then started Solar City Direct. Hmm. So, he started the door door for Solar City. Then uh, Doug Robinson. Doug Robinson and him were. Uh, both neck and neck. And so basically Doug Robinson uh, then became my regional. And then Doug went and started Legacy. Legacy was a security company at Pinnacle first. Oh, really? And then at Vivint, it was a region. And then huh. they left and they started up their and own it, company. It was called Legacy? It was called Legacy, yeah. Really? Wow. Become the best version of yourself. What a legacy. Wow, dude, that's a lawsuit. Other people and dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So actually, this was, uh, I was a top rep in Legacy in 2013, and this was the watch they gave me. So I still, no this is from Doug, yeah. So did you do, you did alarms until what year? Uh, I started, do, I did alarms all the way until 2020. Okay. But I did solar, I think first solar deal I ever sold was in 2016. Okay. Vivant and Vivant Solar was trying to do a, a partnership, and they had the security reps have solar guys follow them around and mm-hmm. close their deals. So I'd go out and sell, and I'd just slap on solar deals to uh, referrals to those guys. Cool. So had a couple sold in 2016, and then I went out in 2017 to South Carolina. Vivant Solar wasn't in the market I was selling in, but Legacy was. So I called up old Doug. I'm like, hey, who do you got out here? He's talked to Jory Sullivan. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's go get Jory. So I hit up Jory, and then uh, Jory started following me around. I think I got him, like, not much. It was like 40, 50, uh, 50 kilowatts that summer. But, um, yeah, that was great. And then basically I came back and then focused, doubled down on uh, security because, you know, we were at a point where where if we go public, this was like, dude, we're all going to make millions of bucks, bro. Like this was everybody wanted this. And it's like you they were talking about, yeah, man, it just, you know, you got to be careful with all the millions you're making. You're on pace to make two, three million dollars. I'm like, dude, this is great. You know, this solar money is cool. What? Two, three, four hundred thousand a year. Yeah. I got stock options, so this is going to be great, right? And so then 2019 came around and then 2020, and at that point, uh, that's when the company merged with another smaller company to go public. And I sat down uh, and I started shopping around looking at different companies because, you know, the end of the line, right? Yeah. And, you know, I was going to get my payout and go to my next venture because I was getting burned out at Vivint. I just the, – the culture there was extremely uh, – a lot of toxic masculinity and you know that was kind of a big issue for me uh the more that i got you know therapy and dealing with you know coaching and stuff and so basically got to the end of the line and i was like all right cool i'll just cash out go do my thing maybe not sell just go explore travel the travel the world a little bit and uh i went down to look at what my equity was worth after managing for 10 years selling a shit ton of accounts and uh they said that i had 7700 shares of vivant uh vivant Solar and I'm like, or Vivint Security. I'm like, okay, well, what is that worth? And I did the math, and it was $177,000. Wow. So you spent all that time sticking with alarms. And I was like, bro. <laughs> you know, and it was literally, it was so disheartening. And they're like, yeah, do you want it? And I'm like, no, bro, you guys can have it. 
And so really? I literally just left it. And, uh, you know, because the, they were going to put strings attached to it. And, you know, yeah. it, it was it was really upsetting because obviously I was so bought in and I was so loyal. Like, you couldn't recruit me, like, from anywhere. And, like, no one could tell me anything because I was just so bought into it. And looking back on it, I, you know, shouldn't have. Uh, you know, I wish I would have stuck with a person that was a little more close to the top that would have mm-hmm. taken care of it instead of being at a huge organization. Because if you don't know the owners, like the further away you are from the ownership, the less likely you're going to get taken care of. And, you know, it was really disappointing to me. And, you know, I f- remember how disappointed I was and how, uh, you know, down I was on myself that that didn't pan out for me. And, you know, it kind of sucked. And I just knew that you know going forward if i was ever to manage your leadership i would never like try to lie or manipulate certain things to keep people like yeah. working for me and uh for me that was like a big kick in the butt and but a great learning lesson and you know after all that's been said and done i think that you know with the new coaching platform and people know that i've done the work like because there's a lot of coaches out there like bro if this guy sold before or not like everybody if you're for in sure. the space you know i've done the work so it's not like i need to go out and prove myself so like i think because of that sacrifice is springboarded you know the success of knockstar and my coaching experience because when you're going through that and you know a lot of times people leave their current position to get a better one if you just stick with the same thing you learn a lot of lessons and so i learned a lot and i didn't make the income i wanted but the technology that i received and the information and the knowledge from being able to achieve at such a high level has now allowed me to be able to teach people how to do it the right way and do it the wrong way and so now i'm in a place where i can teach leaders how to uh, recruit and manage and lead people the right way rather than manipulating them and try to like lock them into some imaginary thing that isn't real and so, obviously, the stock market wasn't in favor of security. I mean, COVID hit, and then just, you know, obviously, it was bad timing, and I'm sure it wasn't any intention of Vivint to just falling apart, but yeah. that's just, it's just what happened. Like, yeah. everybody left Vivint. Like, there's nobody there anymore. It's crazy. Like, all the leadership that built Vivint, the people that made Vivint what it is, they're all gone. Every one of them are gone. And so it's like now I see people that still sell security and I just see the like I just feel bad for them because, man, if they would just see the big picture of what solar and the opportunity has blows. It, it, it's literally changed my mind. Life. Yeah. It's been bro. The last two years I've made more money than I have in like 10 years selling security. <laughs> That's insane, so like dude. so like solar t- or talking about like the energy sector. Yeah. Like because you're talking about how COVID hit all these things and it really messed with the amount of money that you were able to make. With because potentially doing that for security, because banks loan money to uh, alarm companies like Monotronics, ADT, mm-hmm. because they knew these customers would last a certain amount of seven, eight, nine years past their contract date. What ended up happening is, is you heard I did an office five years ago. You know those are five year contracts. You take, you take your team out there. You clean out all those accounts. They're laydowns, month-to-month contracts. Just you find a sign, flip it. So the banks are like, "Bro, this is not a sustainable business method." Wow. And so then, boom. So that's what killed the alarm that's industry. That's what killed the alarm so industry. And that's, that's what, what that's killed your right. equity. That's what killed pest control too. The same thing. They did oh. the, the Terminex acquisition from Altera and Aptiv, and then after that, everyone is switching over each other's accounts constantly. Yeah. They're 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 less than one year contracts dang. now. And yeah. There's no growth rate in the pest control industry. There's a Maybe two percent growth rate of new accounts every year. It just it just all switchovers. Wow. Yep. Really. Yeah. So that's that's what ended up happening there, and then. 
the space didn't grow as much ring in these DIY setups, simple safe, simple, simply safe, safe. like those guys came in and have eaten up a good amount of the market share, not a ton, but it's definitely hindered it because, you know, people only get security if someone breaks in. And so it's not like a proactive thing. And so, you know, just like solar, people aren't going to get solar when they see a big bill or they see a handsome guy knock on their door. And so, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's the thing with security. It just wasn't growing as much and there wasn't as much value per contract. And that's why solar has just been a godsend. And, you know, the thing is, is they only have one roof. Like they can, you can For go sure. sell pest control. You can go sell security after this rush is done. But I just see guys still selling alarms. I see guys selling pest control and I'm like, man, dude, it's a, a lot of it really isn't because they believe it's a better opportunity. It's because they're comfortable with what they know and they're afraid to leave. Yeah. Why do you think I know that? <laughs> bro, was you, I was ter- bro, that was me. I was, was terrified. To it was leave. either that for you, or be in a one-bedroom apartment with the guy who plays Woody at Disneyland. Yeah, like, and, and, turned out all right, dude. and they smell like liquor. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, bro, he's, he's devastated. So that's the thing, man. Is, is the people that are so afraid to switch because their identity is wrapped up in being a top performer in their industry is holding them back from so much more. Yeah, like, dude, it's crazy. Like, I, I my first like three months, four months of summer, on solar i slapped in like 80 deals and i made more money in like and less time in three four months 80 so, deals yeah so it was decent and uh like it was just um crazy because i was so afraid that i wouldn't be good so that's why i stuck with alarm so much wow. but then when i just went all in i'm like bro i could figure this out it's like oh maybe i'm not just a good sales alarm salesman i'm a good salesman and just people get so trapped in their identity, and I think that's all they're good at, and they yeah. don't realize that their skill set's so directly transferable. And a lot of companies keep them afraid to leave that it doesn't even make sense for them to, you know, try to venture out and do their own thing, which is disappointing because, you know, if I hadn't done that, if I, if I would have been stuck at alarms, I would have missed out the money on solar. I wouldn't have bought my first house. I wouldn't have these investments. I wouldn't be having uh, two or three businesses that I run. So it's like all of this is because I took a bet on myself that I was good enough. And unfortunately, a lot of people are so stuck on that they don't think they are and they're afraid. So they just stick selling pest control. They just stick selling security. Like pest control is one thing. Like, I mean, I can understand that if it's a college gig, you want to make some quick cash. Cool. But security, I, I as much as me loving it, like, bro, I was, you know, the, the, the white Shaquille O'Neal of the home security space. Like for me to say, like, if you're selling it right now, you're literally shooting yourself in the foot. Like, I, I mean, I've got a lot of friends who sell security, but the fact that they're doing that when the solar thing's going on right now, I truly yeah. feel bad for them. Like I genuinely feel bad. Would you say and, it's the same as well for, for let's say like a rookie who's looking between, you know, alarms, pest control and solar right now, like are rookies doesn't matter if you're a rookie, it's the leader. It doesn't matter what product you sell because you're going to spend all your money your first two or three years. The person that's going to help you become the best version of yourself in the two to three years that you do this, that's the person you want to stick with. You make your money later on in life, you want the skill sets now. Whoever's going to teach you the most, don't worry about the money. Whoever's going to teach you the most and help you become the best version of yourself the fastest in the shortest amount of time and help you grow as an individual. So you start off getting your, your vision down, then your mindset, then your techniques. The person that's going to help you diagnose and fix those three the fastest that's the guy you work with doesn't matter if it's pest security or solar like those are the guys you got to find and so uh you you got to look for the right leader the, the, the opportunity is not in what product you sell the opportunity is who can you become the fastest and who's going to help you grow the most 
what are those three things you said? First, vision, got, vision, mindset, mindset, and technique. You got to train and teach people in those three orders because if their vision isn't there, their mindset's not going to be strong. Yeah. And if their mindset's not strong, you can have the best techniques in the world, but if your brain's doo doo, you're not going to be able to go through the negative turbulations of what you're going through. So, so when you started selling solar, like, what was your mindset? I felt a huge. Um, I felt like I was cheating on alarms. Like for me, there was a huge emotional because alarms, mind you, changed my life, bro. I was like, you know, uh, a kid who was on pace to making twenty thousand dollars to now averaging three hundred grand a year for a kid in his twenties was great. But you know, for me, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of I, my identity was really shifted, and so it was hard for me to switch myself into that. And so I didn't really believe in it. And then when I really started researching what it does, I realized that there's a third piece to the puzzle that I was missing in sales, and it was the fact that when you sell something, it's usually good for you and good for the customer. And sometimes it's not good for the customer and it's just good for you and you're screwing somebody over. Me, I never I never went down that path, which is why I lasted so long. But for me, it was the, the product that was good for, um, the, the product I was selling was good for them. It was good for me, but it was also good for the planet. And what I really, what really got me looking into a higher level of motivation for what I'm doing is, is every panel that I put or teach somebody to put on someone's roof is literally saving the planet. So now I'm not just, you know, putting a burglar alarm and a camera like that can save somebody's, you know, family and stuff like that. But that's only one family. You're going to change the whole world by, you know, what you're doing and, and lowering carbon emissions and helping create sustainable green energy. Like that's a that's a huge thing. And when when you die, you know, you've left the earth better than they found it. And so that's that's a big that was a big thing that really hooked me into it. And then when I really started diagnosing what the grid is and like how crazy that setup is, yeah. like I don't know if you guys know, you guys got. I always tell people to read this book, but it's called The Grid by Gretchen Bake, B A K K E. The Grid. Like there's three grids in the United States. There's like the Texas grid, the West Coast, and East Coast. And we were the inventors of the grid. The grid started way back in San Francisco, like 130 years ago. And so they found that over all these years, our grid's so much older than these other countries. If you wanted to wipe out America, where would you start? The grid. Power. Start the grid. So antiquated. It's easy. Wow. And they can't fix it. Because you know how much it would cost to, like, upgrade the grid and go from, like, the towers in the sky to digging a trench and putting conduit? And trillions. That's why PG&E starts a forest fire every five seconds. Yes. <laughs> yes. They have a sick, twisted sense of humor. <laughs> they enjoy it. So with that, with that happening, realizing not only can you save the world, but if you have more solar, that puts less strain on the grid. And then essentially if somebody was attacking the United States, you could be – a, a huge part of saving wow. America. You know, it's like every solar panel we put on somebody's house is we're making America great again. Let's go. Let's go. My baby. Man. <laughs> <laughs> where do you, where do you feel like, or where do you think the utility bills are going? They're going to double. The next, They're going to at least double. Cause double, I remember triple. at Knockstar, Michael O'Donnell mm -hmm. talked about it. Yeah. And he was like comparing it to the price of oil. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you guys understand if you're watching this right now, most utility companies still get their electricity from fossil fuels. So if fossil fuels are going up ridiculous amounts by the barrel and doubling, tripling, the first place that you notice it is where? Gas stations. So that's a huge indicator. So if gas stations are going up, what do you think is the next in line? Electricity. Electricity bill. 
thing is, is you can't double an electricity bill overnight because people will freak out and, and like, riot. Because gas is, you know, people can take public transportation. You can't not have electricity. Yeah. So um, the utility companies are kind of like an example of a frog in a pot. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this story, but if you take a pot and you fill it with water and you boil it and you drop a frog in there, frog jumps out immediately, right? Mm -hmm. But you take a pot, you put it on there, you put the frog in the cool pot, you slowly turn the heat up every, you know, 15 seconds. And, you know, over the next 5, 10 minutes, it'll be boiling, but the frog will essentially die in that pot. It won't Mm -hmm. jump out. So... That's what happens with the utility bills is people are going to essentially get squeezed out because the Biden administration, he already talked about going green. He's the big green new deal. And so he's not doing fracking. He's not doing any new, you know, mining for coals. He's not opening up any oil fields in Alaska like they're done with it. So that's why their big thing is, is what can we do besides electricity? I mean, they tapped out Niagara Falls, boom, 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 all these other things. But where else does there go? There's enough electricity to power the United States for a full year with one hour of electricity that comes from the sun. Wow. Yeah, it's nuts. So we're not even tapping into that. And so that's why they're going to sweat these guys out who need to think about it, who need to, oh, I don't know if solar makes sense. It's not a good investment. Well, it's going to be a good investment when your bills are doubled and tripled. And I posted this on my my Facebook the other day. It's like, when is the customer going to tap out? When their $200 bill goes to $400, $600, $800, or $1,000? Like, when are they going to be like, dude, I'm just done. Put the shit on my roof. Because it's coming. It's going to have, like, bro, it's, it's, there's no, not a matter of if, it's when. Because remember, there's two things that they're trying to fight. Why is he want a Green New Deal? It looks good, save the world. Guys, bullshit. Like, think about it. What's going on with Russia? What's going on with China right now? UK right now. Yeah, UK. Well, no, that's, that's a separate thing. Russia, China, they're arming up. There's a war happening. What do you think is going to happen? What are they going to attack? Guys, if they knock out our grids, we're done. So why do you think they're spending so much money to fix our infrastructure and fix it and, and, and to have new different sources of elect, uh, electricity? They wipe out the grid. What are we going to do? We're done. So that's why they're putting all this money in. Guys, there's, there's bigger things at play than just, oh, we're going to save the world. Yeah, that's cool. But America, come on. They, they know something's going to happen. And that's, that's a strong, strong belief that I have. And I think that that's why we're going to continue to see this grow and continue to see this industry go someplace. Because the first way is going to be solar. Second way is going to be batteries. So we're going to see it. Everything's going to get solar. And then eventually you're just going to have battery slingers. Boom, 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 going yeah. out there and doing that. And so the guys that are smart are keeping tabs of all their clients so they can go back and sell them batteries. So that's that's where the big play is going to be at and so if you're thinking big picture that's why it's like dude the job security in this is is huge because not only are you going to continue to have work but literally you're working to do what the united states wants you to do yeah so that's why they increase the tax credit that's why they're doing all these things that's why they waive they waive the tariff on bringing on panels like Bro, think big picture, bro. There's, if, if these other countries are coming in and they're going to come and wipe us out, like what are we going to do to stop it? There's just one channel. There's all these different these different channels that are going to happen, but this is the big one that you know is going to happen where uh, we're incentivized to do something about it, So, which is cool. You know, security, they didn't give two shits about security because, you know, <laughs> were some Russian guys going to break into a house? No. Solar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if you're Russian and you're breaking in houses, hey, sorry, didn't mean to offend you. But, you know, that's what I'm saying. That's, that's, that's the big play that's happening here. 
So what's um? So actually, a question on for a new rep wanting to transition to self training, for example, mm-hmm. right? Because we ran into this this year. <clears throat> At what point is someone actually ready to start self training versus stay setting, or like transition into closing deals? Yeah. Versus stay setting. Well, I mean, because we, like, we saw just a little backstory, like we saw a lot of people try to push too fast. Yeah. And did not have a lot of success closing and maybe they closed a lot of deals, but we're installing a ton. Yeah. Right. So typical thing. So yeah. like, at what point do you actually feel like someone's ready to well, transition it's all to on the onboarding? So like, and I talked about this on a real, we were joking about earlier, but it's like when you onboard a client or onboard an employee, it's about the expectations you set with them. So there's never truly a, a, a point where it's, uh, where you're like, okay, hell yeah, I want to do it. It's more of a feeling and what they want to do with their lifestyle, but it's definitely not one of those things you want to jump into quickly. Like you want to make sure that your sets are sitting at a high percentage before you even think about going and closing. Because then that truly, if you're trying to go and not all your sets are sitting, that means you haven't truly understand the art of setting. And it's like going to practice a new art form before mastering one. It's like master your first one before you start moving on to your second one. Mm -hmm. So get sits, have good relationships. The sits are so strong that they close. If you're setting sits and the closer doesn't close it, that means you haven't done a good enough job as a setter. Because if you've done such a good job setting appointments, even if your closer sucks ass, they're already sold on it. So it's like continue to look at that aspect, and then if you can make sure your sets are so damn strong, all of them are closing, that's when you should start taking the consideration of being a closer. And not too soon, because if you're just like, hey, I just want to start closing and making money, guys, setters make just as much if you do it right. There's only so many hours a day that you can go out and be with the customer and get them to buy solar, but you can set 5, 10, 15 appointments in one day, and if all those closes, you're basically making just as you're making more than all the closers. Yeah. So that's the big thing people are missing out. I think people like the the hype behind being a closer. They yeah. like the accolades, the personal gain because of it. But the setters are the ones that are truly in control of the process, and they're the ones that I feel are going to be running the industry here in the future. Yeah. That to be completely real, like if I had the choice between setting and closing, like setting makes a lot more sense because it's like fixed hours. Mm. Whereas closer, you can be taking appointments at 8 a.m. Yeah. Like, I've taken 7 a.m. appointments, you know, like super yeah. early appointments, late, like your, your schedule's kind of all over the place. Yep. Whereas setting, it's just fixed hours. Yep. Hit it. Go. You close it. See you later. I'm at the beach. Why not? <laughs> it's interesting because the misconception is, is the lifestyle of a closer can be better, which is actually not the case based on what you're saying, right? Yeah. People think, you know, that going to the appointment, sitting down and being in their living room is nicer. But you're doing that at all hours of the day. It's not fixed hours. You're not able to go and enjoy that pipeline. Freedom. Pipeline after that. Good luck. You're not yeah. in control of your schedule in any way. You're not in control of your schedule. That sucks. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. So that's why, you know, it's 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 important to realize that you know it depends on the lifestyle you want. If you're okay with that, then do it. You know, the money's going to be equal. You know, it's all fair. To, it depends on the the what you get paid is direct proportion of the value that you provide to the marketplace. So if you don't have any money in your account, that means you don't. You're not very valuable. Yeah. So it's like you got to really take that in consideration. If you're not making money as a setter, you're not all of a sudden going to make money as a closer. Yeah. It means you suck. Yeah. Get better. Get the skill set. I, I I went back and watched one of the recordings. I think it was Casey Baugh was talking about how mm. he's like, dude, I, I started out and I'm he I think he was going to BYU or something like that. Mm. He's like, I literally like couldn't get a job anywhere. I just realized like I have no value anywhere to anything. 
And so then he went and has a whole story going to Barnes and Noble, spending every dime that he had and yeah. bought those books. Yeah, that's that's really what it is, man. And you know, people look at the wrong thing. It's setting closing. It's like, no, let's make you some money because there is money in setting. Do you know people that make money? Yes. So you know it's possible. So let's get you to max amount of setting money, and then you can look at throwing, going into closing. If you're doing a half-assed job as a setter and then you want to close, it's like, well, bro, I'm going to tell you exactly how well you do at set closing based on your performance at setting. It's like not all of a sudden magically you turn into this great closer. It's going to only be harder because there's different. It's a different sale than you're trying to do yeah. when you are a closer, yeah. and it requires a lot more follow up and a lot more um, finessing back end management and proper expectations when you are closing. With setting, it's just it's it's a lot easier. The reason why people don't like it is because you face more rejection, <laughs> and so they just have to face that fear, that gut wrenching uh, nervousness to go out and sell, and that's why people want to go into closing because they get away, they think they get away from that. Yeah. It's not true they want to be closers. They hey, I just don't like knocking doors anymore. That's yeah. really what it is. Mm-hmm. And so if you can try to get to the root of that and say, hey, man, what's the problem? What, what's, what's the real issue? Do you not like knocking? It's always come down to either three things, hours, attitude, or approach. So if you're struggling, I always train on this, is, is how many hours are you doing a day? How's your attitude? And then your approach. You know, the approach is about 5 to 10%. Attitude's like 70 to 80%, and hours is like 5%. So always look at the attitude. Find out why they want to close, what's going on, and really get to the root of it because it always is ending up coming down to maybe their attitude isn't the greatest and they don't like setting or they, the closers are portrayed to be, you know, the superstars. You know, that's why if you're running an organization, if you're not taking time to, like, really pimp out your setters by giving them trophies and, like, showing them they're like so well appreciated they're going to want to go to where the glory's at yeah so that's what i'm saying dude anybody can close a solar deal bro you're lowering somebody's bill that doesn't impress me i like the guy that can go out there and set 10 or 15 deals in a day yeah it's 110 degrees and those all sit and close that's the killer like bro so it's easy bro you're lowering somebody's freaking bill (laughs) what are some sales nuggets that you have for someone setting um, like so, like actual pitch or like ha, like presentation thing, things to should I do push-ups? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. With their with the setter presentation, like what are what's what's kind of the mindset that they should have and the points that they want to get across to the homeowner? Um, well, it's always what you're doing, intro, what you're doing, why you're doing it, what's in it for them, what's in it for us, pullback, reference sheet, build credibility. Get them off the doorstep, point to one of the clients, and then start asking questions. That's my flow. And so I like to not go in specifics because different markets have different ways to say certain things. So if I tell you what works for me, that's not going to work in another market. So if you're training and you're a regional, you'll have a regional come in. This is the biggest problem with Vivint is we'd have people come in and they train on what worked for them, but that doesn't work in that market. Mm -hmm. So if you're a teacher, you're teaching on principles not specifics, because specifics will confuse your team. They'll get overwhelmed. They'll try to say what you say and blow yeah. it. So the thing is, is you teach in principles, what you're doing, why you're doing it. How do you bring up solar and why are you doing it? So many reps say, what's in it for the customer? What's in it for the company? My big thing is, is I'll spend more time on what's in it for me, 
choosing you as a customer than for me selling you on why you should get what I have. So that's always been one of my secrets is, is I've always said, hey, this is what my company gets out of it. Because everyone's heard, hey. Because you're not hiding anything. Yeah, no. Because the thing is, that. is they, they, they are like, what's the catch? What's the catch? What's the catch? This is a scam. Oh, you're going to lower my bill? No one lowers my bill. Everyone raises my bill. So when you come here and you're telling me you're going to raise my bill, why would you do that? So I will literally spend more time telling them and what's in it for my company. Hey, we get the visibility. We get referrals. We get references. People pay in cash. We make more money on cash deals. So all of these different things come up, I want to make sure that if you're a person that you like our services, you'll refer them to me. So all these different lines as I spend more time telling them why they do it. And then I show them a list of clients that I've sold and I point to them and then I start going into the video testimonies. So to separate yourself, I'll literally have a recording of a video I have with a testimony of my clients. A lot of you guys have seen it go viral, but basically a closer will record it. Hey, if the utility company knocks on your door after you had solar and tells yeah. you to pull them off and then go back to renting your power where they could raise the rate, what would you tell your utility company? And they're like, F off, F you. And so it's really funny. <laughs> Everyone tags me. So it's pretty cool. Um, and so like you having that video and then, you know, it gets them to vocalize it and you text that to the customer when you're done. And then if they ever want to cancel, you can go back and question that video. Like, what are you talking about? What do you mean cancel? Yeah. So these little tricks that we do to tie down the customer, because the thing is, is, and they're not tricks because, you know, when you're selling something, if you, if you have the right intentions, that's the difference between deception and conviction is if you're trying to cheat somebody, you're trying to deceive them. So it's all about your intention. If you're just trying to make a quick buck, but if you're trying to serve them, that's your intention. You do these sales techniques to really do it for the customer, not to the customer. So, so that, to that same point, how do you handle this? Because um, I don't know where I learned this, but every time someone asks if I'm a salesman, mm-hmm. right? Because a lot of guys try to get across like, oh, I'm not a salesman, whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm always like, I always tell them that I am mm-hmm. and that I'm paid fully off a of commission. So like, if this doesn't even make sense for you, why would I show back up at the appointment? Yeah. You know, like this has to make sense for you guys and it has to make sense for us. Like it has to make sense for me and my time. So like, I'm not even going to show up if this doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like, do you, do you train guys to like, see that if a customer asks if I'm a salesman, I say, no, sir, my dad's a salesman. And here I am nine months later after my mom had me. <laughs> so here I'm doing something a little bit different. So that's the type of little jokes. Cause I, you know, that's a, a few things that I've learned. My buddy, Kenny Brooks, you know, it's yeah. about lightening up the situation. You, you guys know who Kenny Brooks is? Vivid guy, right? No, yeah. he's the, he's the dude that sells like spray bottle. Uh, the cleaner. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was at Knockstar. He was yeah, sick, dude. No he's way. a freaking stud, dude. Yeah, yeah him and Danny are tight. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, a good friend of mine. He is so funny. Yeah, he'd be great to have one of these. That would be sweet. Dude, that would be so sick. Dude, awesome. Let's go. I'd get a good deal for you, too. Because, <laughs> you know, he says, the thing is, it's all technique. And it's like, you know, you got to get your point across. What's the best way to get it across without triggering the customer, getting their walls come up? And so finding a way to make them laugh right off the gate at the beginning of like your presentation is huge. Like I'd come to the door, someone knock on it. I'm like, hey, we're looking for all the ladies with uh, cats walking around the house. And so it's like, oh, d- oh, oh where have you been? <laughs> we're like, we're, we're looking at the people. We're, we're talking to everybody in the neighborhood with the really cool pimp mobiles. Is that yours? Man. So I do personality and really separate it because, dude, so many guys are afraid to be loose with it. Yeah. If you know what you're doing, and you're so dialed in, you're polished, you have the right techniques, you can have fun with it and you get loose with it. Perfect example, Shaquille O'Neal, when he played basketball, just laughing, having a good time. He knew what he was doing. Yeah. Go back and watch some of the plays. When he's playing, he's just having a good time, messing with people because the next play, boom, just dunks on him. 
because that's it. You got your game dialed in. So same thing when you're working on your presentation on your doors. If you're nervous and you're timid, people know that and they feel it. If you're joking and having fun, they're like, "Whoa, what's going on? This guy must really know his shit. He must be the real freaking deal." Yeah, because you're not attached to the outcome. It's like, bro, they're lucky to even be talking to me. Like, bro, I'm so polished. Like, you're gonna get to see what a real salesman is like. <laughs> Sit back and relax. Go grab your checkbook. Watch this. <laughs> How loose are you with like a bull type personality? Very loose. That's the real really? one. You, you know, you just, bro, you they come in charging you. You Turo it and be like, damn, boom, 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 just loosen them up and just start getting laughing because they're threatened. Do you, do you mirror him at the front? No. No, no. Really? I'm, I'm just like, boom, hit me, go through, boom. Oh, man, you got me good, man. Damn. <laughs> man, you remind me of my wife's boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> so a little loose of stuff like that, oh, get them loose. Awesome. And then, then once you like, get them loose a little bit, start talking about something that they, they know, their reality. So if you see something on the front yard, see something that they're passionate about, just start talking about that, loosens them up, and then boom. They're all there. I sold in Texas uh, two years ago, and, dude, you deal with a lot of those type of dudes. Like, I sold this huge Harley guy who was a hard ass, literally closed. He put the gun on the table, and he's like, all right, man, I want to make sure you're not full of shit. What's this about? <laughs> I'm like, sir, well, you can either put my – put the, if the deal's not good, you can put it in my mouth or in my butt. <laughs> what did he say to that? He said, I might put it in your butt, son. <laughs> yeah, I think he was gay. <laughs> Because he, uh, he had no shirt on but the black vest. So, oh, yeah, for sure. No, he, he loved Harley Davis, and now that I think about it, I don't think he even had a motorcycle. So. <laughs> Whose house was I in? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't seem to remember much of this. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty clear. you got a like, clear gift for being loose on the doors and, yeah. and, and breaking that ice really quickly with, mm-hmm. with, with your customers. Is that something that can be learned? Can that be yes. trained? Do you train on that in, in your... In your, yes, in your content. Yes, 100%. I, one of my favorite things to do is get a group of 10, 15 people. And the improv that I used to teach people in college, I'll teach sales reps how to do that. Wow. That's so we'll go through and do theater games. We'll play performances. And literally, they get out, and they're on cloud nine. They're like, bro, this is just like sales. I didn't even think <laughs> oh, about it. Like that's this. sick. So, because, yeah, that's that's literally all it was. Improv comedy is door-to-door sales. And that's why wow. I was such a head above everybody, because they'd come out as a character and your job in theater is to do yes and whatever they're doing you acknowledge it and then you add on to it so if they were to come out and said you come out and say hey this is grandma sissel it's like i'd be like a bad comedian be like no you're not grandma sissel you're frank and so then you'd you would give me an idea and I'd shit on it, right? That's bad comedy. But a good comedy, I'd be like, Grandma Sissel, when did you get that walking chair? <gasps> you haven't had money in years. Who did you steal it from? Was it from Carson? Carson's going to be here any minute, and if he finds out you stole your wa- her, her, his walker, he's going to kick your butt, and I hope he's not drinking. <laughs> and then now, when you come in, what did I just tee you up for? Oh, freaking drunk, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just uh, magic. So when you come out as a customer who's pissed off, you take it in, and then you figure out a way to go with it. So same principles in, in, in sales. So every time I'd go to a new door, I looked at it as a new stage. And whoever came at me, 
I'm going to just make them look like a freaking superstar. You come out now, you look like a hero. The best comedians are the ones that made their teammates look good. So when you guys, that the audience is watching, you guys, you get to come in now as a drunken guy without a walker, <laughs> and then you guys get to fight. I just teed you guys up. Now, you guys look great, and then everyone's enjoying and entertaining it, but then the, the improv, the, 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 the teachers are like, oh, this guy set him up very well. So that's why I love doing is setting people up, making them look like a star, and making sure that they, uh, you know, show their gifts to their people. And that's what it really, you got to be from a really uh, comfortable self state. Because if yeah. you want to be the star of the show every time, you don't want that to happen. You want to be the star. But if you really get your shit together and really get sold on you're a good person, you don't need that all the time, you'd actually get more enjoyment and fulfillment by making other people look good, making other people look like the star of the show. And that's, that's what the best comics do. The ones that are all about themselves, eh, but the ones that go on stage and make everyone else look like a genius, those are the best improv improvisers. And, you know, I do that in sales. I make my clients look like they made the decision to buy solar. I make my reps look like they did all the training and clothes. Everybody else is the man in charge, and I'm just sitting back like, Shit, yeah. That's why that's it's it. called Knockstar. That's right. Yes, exactly. There's no one-man show. And the people that do that, they don't last very long in the space. You've seen it before. Yeah. And so, you know, that's why we've built it is to make sure that all the, the Knockstars aren't me. It isn't Taylor. It's the, te it's the people, the students that come in and do it. So it's like if you can take what you know and teach somebody and they can use your result, use your material and get the results, that makes them the star. And so at the end of the day, that's what I truly love doing. And that's where I've learned for years. If you want to be happy in life, you make other people look freaking amazing. And the problem is if you make other people look amazing and they don't realize what you're doing, it goes to their head, then you got to get away from those guys. Mm. So, but that's why it's like really important. To, for me, that's always been my theory. I want to make everyone else look really, really good. That'll, that'll carry like not only just in sales too, but like in your life. Like I'm, I'm sure your personal relationships just are so much better because of that in your, mm -hmm. your, your life overall. You just make some more connections. Your network grows just because you're able to highlight the people you're with and instead of yourself. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I, I constantly focus on if I'm talking about myself too much. I like to just it's just it, the you principle. Yeah, it's just I want to like entertain. I want to make people laugh. I want to make them feel good. And, like no one wants to hear about what I'm doing. No one cares about my problems. Like everyone else is in their own world. I want to hear like, yo, what's going on with that? Boom, yeah. check this out. Cool. You gotta, cool. you gotta be. Like, to your point, you got to yeah. be, you got to know yourself yeah. and be okay with yourself and good yeah. with yourself. And, and I didn't used to be that way. And so a lot of reps, problem is, is this industry is they get so caught up with the cockiness to be the best. And then they get, start burying their insecurities. And that's where you see these alpha mega provo all-stars. And it's like, that is such a huge mask. Like, I see exactly what's happening. You've doubled down. And you've buried your weaknesses, and I can see right through that. So you get angered easily, you get triggered, you know, you get defensive, you put people down, you pick on people. Like that shows me quite a bit about your character because mm -hmm. that's an all in mass because you haven't done the work that, you know, it takes to be able to not have those things come out. And so that's why it's important to continue to work on the stuff that you're not good at so you don't come off like a, you know, pro all star. Do you ever hear the story about the U principal where the guy goes to dinner with the president and his wife. So the guy goes to dinner oh, with the president yeah, and his wife, yeah, yeah. and, like, he's just, like, asking questions to the president's wife, like, all night. Mm -hmm. And then at the, like, come the next day, like, he didn't talk about himself at all. And, like, yeah. come the next day, the president calls this guy, and he's like, dude, my wife cannot shut up about you. She's speaking so highly of you. Like, what can we do for you? Yeah. And, he, like, she doesn't know anything about him. He literally yeah. didn't say anything. And so I think that's really cool with everything that you're saying. Just focus on other people and make them feel like a million bucks. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's the thing is, is you know, if you got to get in that state to be able to do that, you got to have some coaches. You got to go through, yeah. you know, do the hard stuff because we go through trauma. Like door door is traumatic. You deal with so much rejection, your body can't do it. So what ends up happening is, is you start creating a versad of who you are, and then eventually, if you become that versad, you just hide all of these mm. insecurities you have, and then they start coming out in different aspects of your life in inappropriate times. It's hard to relate with family members. It's hard to be a father. It's hard to be a husband because you spend yeah. so much time on this versade without realizing that's just a mask you've worn, and then it becomes your mask as your identity, and then you get so afraid to take that off that you're like this guy permanent. Yeah, and then people wonder why they commit suicide, bro. That's not them. They killed. The, they killed their fucking image. That's the only way they could be themselves. Wow, nuts. Yeah, I actually like uh, at our first abundant retreat, I was shocked. I'm I'm thinking it was going to be so different than it was. <laughs> and like for like two straight days, just like trying to get me to like rip into my inner self, and I'm mm-hmm. like, dude, this is so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like I've never been through anything like that. Yeah. So you do abundant. What else do you do? Because uh, you said you invest, yeah, I did a, lot grand, a couple of, hundred grand. Um, uh, save your opinions. Put some good money into Scientology. So I don't know if you guys know heard all about that, but they do a lot of really good business tech. So for me, there's a lot of courses on business. There's a lot of courses on different ways to improve yourself in the workplace. And a lot of Eastern, they're basically a Western approach to Eastern philosophy. <laughs> so what it basically does, I was very skeptical at first. I checked it out. I mean, there's there's like the religious side of it and there's the business. I'm really focused on the business side of it. Um, yeah, I'm not the most religious guy at all. But um, they, they talk about everyone knows certain principles on why you should do certain things but then they what they do is they go into the depth and the detail and build the fundamentals on why certain stuff happens and so they're really really um great tech like for example the arc triangle is something that one of the the church principles are is um affinity reality and communication so if you're having a relationship with somebody and you want to build affinity which means to like somebody you communicate with them about their reality. So what I talk about is, is so if I wanted to build a relationship with you and start getting affinity to grow with you, I'd start looking at you and I'd see, okay, what's this guy's reality? So then I'd say, okay, I just saw his wife call him. Hey, I saw your wife called you. How long you guys been married? So then he'd start talking about his wife, just like the guy at the dinner table talking about the president's wife asking questions. So the more you re- look at a person and you communicate about their reality, the more affinity that they're going to have. Yeah, so the technology, Scientology has been really, really good. They just teach the business philosophy, ARC triangle. Um, you know, it, it gets a bad rap for whatever reason, but, you know, I've really enjoyed the business side of things. The other aspect is that the, the, one of the most important things I've really, really found the hugest in return on my investment is personal branding. So I pay Serge the creator. He runs my social media. He does all my posts. Like, having him take that, you can even go through all my old po- posts and then see the difference when I hired him and when it took over, yeah. like it's night and day. Like I tried to do my own in-house guy and try to do it that way, someone cheaper. And I just realized, bro, get someone who's a specialist, pay the price. And Surge has literally tripled, quadrupled my Instagram. I get people calling me all the time like, bro, who's doing your stuff? Yeah. So that personal branding has been huge. And so for me, investing in that, it was scary spending that much, but it was freaking worth every penny because you got to look at it if i get a coaching client because of it or if i see someone who's in the solar space and they want to buy one of my programs it pays off because they know my stuff's legit it's professional for sure it's like you want to 
a doctor who's to give you brain surgery, do you want the guy driving a Toyota Corolla or the Ferrari? Yeah. Like, bro, you want the guy who's got his shit looking good. Yeah. You go into a doctor's office and the, and the the reception area has just got a bunch of trash and it's dirty. Do you feel comfortable about him working on you? No. Get it clean. Get it professional. Your Instagram is your business card. People are going to come work for you. They're going to look at your Instagram and they're instantly going to make judgment. Don't like it? Hey, that's how it is. Yeah. So if your Instagram's whack, people are judging you on it. And then people that have a better quality Instagram that are being run professionally, that are recruiting for a job, they're going to go with a person who not only has a better quality look in Instagram, but can also live it too, not just put, you know, fake the funk. So that's part of it. You have to have a good branding, but the branding has to be from a good source, which if you're not a good person, you can have the best branding in the world, but people aren't going to like you. Yeah. So branding. Get on it. Wow. Knowledge from Danny today. It's crazy. One question we'd like to ask everyone before you head out. Um, if, there was, if there was one thing that you would define like this is my secret to success or this is my secret sauce, what would it be? Mm, that's a good one. What is my secret sauce of success? I, uh, I remember watch, going into Vivint all the time. And everyone wore the exact same outfit. It looked like clones, right? And I see these guys, and I was listening to a lot of, watching a lot of mafia movies, watching a lot of Frank, <laughs> listening to Frank Sinatra, right? And I, I remember listening to this one song by Frank Sinatra that was, I did it my way. And he talked about going through life. It's a beautiful song, and I'd recommend listening to it. But basically, he talked about at, uh, at the end of his days, he did life by his design. And for me, I realized that if I went and continued to conform to these companies I was working for by fitting in, being part of the culture, that wasn't really me. And so for me, I wanted to be the Danny Pessy that I always wanted to be, which is I wanted to be fun-loving, goofy character, and I wasn't going to conform to any company. And they didn't like that at first. But essentially, you know, and that's why essentially I didn't really work out too well long-term and being on any of the videos and training platforms. But I was saying, you know what, if I'm going to go through this life, everything I do, how I'm going to engage, I'm going to react, I'm going to do it from an authenticity point where it's me. I wear the big jackets, I wear the goofy stuff because I want to show people that if you want to do life, do it by your design. I want to have fun. This is what I like. And so I'm just going to go out and do it. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm being friendly. I don't flex on anybody. Like I'm just out here doing what I like to do. And it's just in a fun loving place. My jackets are all from vintage clothing stores. A lot of my outfits are antiques. So I go antique shopping with my mom and I find out cool little stuff to put on. I have a solar gold chain that I got off uh, Amazon that I like sewed together myself. So it's like, dude, if you're going to go through life, don't try to fit in, be yourself. And then your vibe will attract your tribe and at the end of the day it's that's what about putting on that mask because you'll attract people who aren't really who you are and people with masks attract other people with masks so you got a bunch of people who are pretending to be somebody else sitting around you and that perpetuates the whole um thing of being around people who aren't really themselves and so that's why i've been trying to be so authentic and just be myself have fun dress how i want to dress do what i want to do as long as it's with good intentions like bro the world's your oyster so don't try to fit in be yourself and the people that you're if they're meant to be if if they was a dr seuss saying it's if they matter what is that thing uh those who mind who those who don't mind matter and the ones that matter don't mind Hmm. And so for me, it's like, bro, if you don't like how I roll, dude, too bad, man. 
I'm going to do it my way. And that, you know, and a lot of times people get upset about that. It's because something inside of them wishes that they were living their true authentic self rather than just buying stuff right. because other people were buying the stuff and the latest trend and the latest, you know, clothing stuff. So. Yeah, that's what I'd say. Do it your way, man. That's why you don't wear Nikes. That's why I don't wear. I mean, not really, dude. I don't know what I wear, honestly, dude. I, <laughs> I have like these little toe shoes. I've got sandals I've been wearing because it's so hot in California. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I got a couple cool ones, name brands, but um, I'm not a shoe guy at all. Like, I'm like an antique jewelry guy. <laughs> Sick, dude. Yeah, bro. Like, this is my favorite piece I have on here. This is a. Uh, uh, hand-carved Buddha that I got in Vietnam and wow. uh, it's out of bone and I've got this gold necklace that I got made in Chinatown and on the back it says abundance for really? uh, the group that I'm part of yeah. and so yeah have this carried around me every time all my jewelry has a story behind it so everywhere I go it's just you know little things like that that's that's what excites me watches, did you show that to Ben oh yeah he already knows I, I told him right when I did it yeah like expensive watches like this was free this is a ten thousand dollar watch got it for free because I wow. earned it like, you know, stuff like that. You can buy that stuff, but you can't buy the story. And so in life, there's a lot of things you can earn. And, you know, uh, through adventures and stuff, like I've always tied stuff that I get to stories. And that's why, you know, they mean so much to me. 